0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid
1: witness. Thank you for listening. Acts 12. About that time, Herod the King laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he had saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with, hands, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James to and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, He examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then when when he went down to Judea to Caesarea, he spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Mark.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand. continue standing as we pray and ask God to really apply uh, what we just heard to our hearts today through uh, his message. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you today in song and and pour out our hearts of gratitude and, and awe and thanksgiving for who you are. We also thank you, God, for today for the opportunity to come and to worship you for, for, for in, in hearing your word and, and studying your word and applying your word. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that everything you've given us is all that we need for a life of, uh, to know you and a life of godliness in you. Father, our simple prayer this morning is this. Would you take this word that we've just heard, would you help us understand it in a way that is going to impact and change our lives and draw us nearer to yourself. Uh, God, I pray that you would be uh, all over this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that Father, even as the word is preached today, that you'd you'd help our people, you'd help us, Lord, not see the preacher, Lord, but you'd help us see God and help us know uh, your will for our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this. Would you come now in all power as we study your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Now you may go ahead and Grab a seat for a little while. Uh, Acts chapter 12 is where we are, as Fabio just read for us. Saves me reading it again. Uh, We're going to study this whole chapter today and draw out some principles. Simply uh, title the sermon this morning, this, God's power comes through again. God's power comes through again. We've seen this over and over in the book of Acts. If you see people walking down the aisles, that's because they want to give you a Bible if you don't have one yet. And so if you don't have one, stick your hand up. They'll give you a copy of God's Word to follow along. Uh, God's power comes through again. As I studied this passage, I thought this. Anyone who thinks the Christian life is boring has never truly followed Jesus. Anyone who thinks the Christian life is lame and uneventful has never truly embraced their missional calling. If life is a journey, then life in Jesus is a glorious adventure. Amen? I had no idea what God was calling me to that moment. I fell on my knees and said, God, take my life and do with it whatever you see fit. I want you to be Lord of my life. I really had no idea what God was really going to do in my life as so he called me to ministry. And uh, I want to tell you this, it's been a wild journey. There's never been a week in the last uh, 20-some-odd years of ministry that I've ever thought to myself, nah, I think I've got this thing figured out. There's never been a seldom been a week where I had one of those moments where it's like, Huh, didn't see that coming. That happens all the time. Never a week that goes by, there's not some sort of spiritual opposition. You know, David and I joke even all the time, like, man, if we could just write a book on all that's happened in the last five and a half years in Niagara, we'd have a pretty good volume. And yet every crazy scenario we've come across, anything we found ourselves in that we're like, what is going on? And and God, if you don't show up now, you know, we're in trouble. Right? And God, like, I can't figure this out. You have to figure it out. But for every one of those moments, guess what? God shows up in power. Again, he never stops showing himself to his people in a powerful way. You think I have a lot of stories. You also had a lot of stories. Peter had a lot of stories of like what this journey uh, of life, journey with Jesus was like in his life. He's like the old war veteran at Tim Hortons on a Saturday morning, Peter. The stories just keep flowing, and, and Acts chapter 12 is one of those adventures. It's like a made-for-TV special. If you've heard Fabio read, if you're really listening, you're like, what is going on? That is awesome. And again, through the life of Peter, we learn this. God's mission often often takes us to places that bring us to the end of ourselves and the beginning of God. And every opportunity that God brings us to that we get to the end, we're like, I don't know, God. I don't know what to do. If you don't show up, it's just an opportunity for God to reveal his presence and unleash his power yet again. And we also learn this, that nothing and no one is going to stop God's purposes for your life and his mission from advancing. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes as we study uh, Acts chapter 12. Uh, Just like Peter, when I am stuck with no way out, here's Peter, right? Stuck with no way out. When I am stuck with no way out, here's number one, it's time to pray like never before. When I am stuck with no way out, it's time to pray like never before. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. About that time, this is, what, what time is that? This is a pretty significant time in the life of the church. Remember, it's about seven, eight years after the Holy Spirit fell, and, and God is pulling his church forward. But You know who's on the other end? It's, it's Satan trying to pull his church back. So as God moves his church forward, there's always somebody on the other side trying to pull it backwards, and that's Satan. And Herod the king jumps into the fray in this story. I haven't heard of him yet, but he's been there. He really jumps into the main plot of this story. And, and you can guess which side he's on in this whole thing. God's side or, or the enemy's side? The enemy's side. King Herod, just to help you understand who this is, there's five Herods in the New Testament. This isn't Herod the Great. It's actually his grandson, and it's King Herod the First. And... Uh, Much, they're all much the same though. All the hairs, they kind of all, all, all the apples don't fall far from the tree. They're all wicked kings posed to Jesus, leaving a legacy of what we ought not to do is what uh, the, the kings, King Herod uh, was. And he was an observer of the law of Moses, and the political platform was this please the Jews. That, that's all he wanted to do was please the Jews. And so uh, he, he's trying to stop this movement of Jesus. And look how he sets out to please the Jews. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That's pretty ruthless, don't you think? And as he did that, here's what the Jews are doing. They're like, Herod, Herod, Herod. So he's like, well, hey, this is pleasing the Jews. My political platform is being advanced. So why don't we round up some more of these Christian guys? Let's start at the top. Let's start with the guys who are leading this thing. Let's round up. Peter. Peter found his name on the hit list. And, and let's bring him in, and let's do the same thing to Peter that we did to James. Problem was, it was during the Days of the Unleavened Bread. This was a religious festival, and it was just kind of uncouth to put someone to death during a religious festival. So what do you do? He brought him in and put him in jail, and he's waiting until the festival's over. Then he's just going to follow suit with what he did to James. This is, what, this is Herod's plan. Pretty, pretty wicked plan. And we see Peter now in this place of being treated like a hardened criminal. Like, like look, what's, look look where Peter is. But remember, remember, he's just trying to follow Jesus. Has he committed a crime? Not at all. And yet here's where he is. He's in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to, to after the Passover, bring him out to the people. Doesn't that seem a little extreme to you? You know, we watch the news and we see people like. Remember that, that Charleston shooter? I think his name was Dylan Roof. And we see him after he walked into that church and, and killed all the all those, those people worshiping. And we see him like with guards around him, bulletproof vests. We're like, yeah, that's what he deserves. This is Pete. Like, that's sort of what's happening to Peter. But is this what Peter deserved? Like, what was Peter's crime? He was telling people with Jesus Christ that their lives might be transformed. And he finds himself in this place of being stuck with absolutely no way out. So you know what the believers do? This is the first thing I want you to see here. You know what the believers do instinctively? As Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. Stuck with no way out. What do we do? I think in our human tendency, we're like, let's get a Petition. Let's, like, storm the courts, you know what I mean? Let's get social media going, and, and yet, what, what does the early church do when, when, when someone that they love is stuck in an impossible situation? They storm the gates of heaven through prayer. They earnestly pray. When I am stuck with no way out, here's a good thing for us to do, is to earnestly pray and follow the early church's example. What does it mean to earnestly pray? Here's what the word earnest means. It means without quitting, continuously, with emphatic emotion. John MacArthur tells us that this word earnest is tied to the word fervent. And here's what the word fervent means. It's a medical term used to describe the stretching of muscles to their limits. It's, it's, like, it's like praying so hard and so passionately that, that it feels like you've just had a full body workout when you're done. Just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember him in in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Like, God, not my will, but your will be done. Here's what earnest prayer is. Even check your own hearts. I mean, as we learn about earnest prayer is, I think as I study this, I'm like, do I pray earnestly? Have I ever really prayed with that fervent, got to get God in this. If God doesn't show up, we're done type of prayers. Here's what fervent prayer is. It is praying with everything that you've got and praying as if Jesus is the only one that you've got. Holding nothing back, knowing the urgency of the situation, believing firmly in the power of prayer that is my lifeline to God. It's calling out to Jesus as my number one option and only option if I want to see God truly break through you got to get this church, if we're going to learn what it really means to be the early church, to to learn what it really means to to see the power of God come down, we are going to find ourselves in impossible situations. And yet, what's the answer to that? It's going to be that the church bands together to pray even harder for each other and for the movement of God to go forward. Prayer is not a fallback option for us. Prayer is our first recourse in every circumstance. Such a powerful concept because I think in our culture we are so casual with our prayers. And we read stories like this and we're like, man, I want God to do this in, 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 the, in my life and the people in my life, maybe not a physical prison, but we all know people who are in a prison, don't we? Stuck with no way out. And, and, and how come God's not doing what He did in the early church in my life? How come? Maybe you're there today. I know that it's only God and and how come God's not doing it? I just want God to do it. You know where it starts? It starts with getting on our faces and truly calling out to God in earnest, fervent prayer. Praying with everything we've got. Praying as if Jesus is the only one that we've got. And not giving up. With whatever situation you're praying about, not giving up and and laying yourself out before the Lord, determined to, to pray until God answers. And when you finally do get up, you're like... Oh, I'm exhausted. Those that truly know the power of God, those who truly know God, this is, this is how they pray earnestly, fervently. Prayer was never meant to be a calm, comfortable exercise. Here's how we tend to pray. In our lives, unless something serious is going down. There's been times I've prayed like this, but the, it's been something serious is going down in whose life, but in my life. You can think of my wife's dad who was sick with cancer. We prayed like this for sure. When, when Maya was first in the hospital, we prayed like this for sure. When it comes to praying for others, here's how we generally pray Dear Jesus, please be with. Boy, they need you now. On to my own requests. Dear Jesus, The person I love so much is lost. They're dying and they're going to hell. Can you save them? And they got a whole bunch of other things for you to say, to to, to listen to as well. And then we wonder why we don't see the full power of God and know the full presence of God and our hearts aren't alive to the reality of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, true intercessory prayer involves anguish and longing and sweat and tears, feeling that their insides are being pulled out, uh, pulled out through our belly button. This is what's happening in the church. They're, they're not just casually, like, hey, we should have a prayer meeting. Or, Who wants to gather for a few seconds and pray? Like, like they're on their faces calling out and saying, God, oh, please keep your church going. Oh, please keep Peter alive that he might continue to preach the word of God. Is this how you pray? Is this how you pray in your own life? Is this how you pray for others? If, if somebody were in this circumstance as Peter was, would you be the one that they'd want to call on to pray for them, knowing that you are going to pray like this? It's both a challenge and an encouragement, isn't it? Like, I read this, and, and I'm challenged by it for sure. But I'm also motivated. Does this motivate you a little bit? If that's what prayer is, then God, teach me how to pray. Pray. Like, like, really? Teach me how to pray? Like, I'm going to make time this week so you can teach me how to really pray that I can see your power come alive in my life and the, and the, the lives of those around me. And, and God, I want to pray and I want to seek your face and I don't want to get up on some different things in my life the lives of those I love until I see you work. Here's what happens when we pray. Here's a quote from someone, I don't know who, who it came from, but it's someone smarter than I am. It says this, if you're praying about it, God's working on it. If you're praying about it, God's working on it. Brothers and sisters, we have to be a church that prays. If this mission is going to go forward, if we're going to see God in our lives, we have to be a church that truly learns how to pray. We also have to be a church that truly learns this, that when I'm stuck in an impossible situation with no way out, I don't just pray, but I, I also learn that it's time to watch God work it out. Point number two is, is this, it's, it's time to watch God work it out. When I am stuck with no way out, it's time to watch God work it out. So as the believers are praying, as they're seeking the face of God with soul-wrenching, heart-churning intercession, and here's what's happening to Peter, his time's taken away. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. And so uh, this is the last night before Peter's probably going to be executed. And it's down to the wire, and where do you find Peter? Sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, sentries before the door. So he's got soldiers around him, he's got chains all over him, and, and there's guards at the door, guarding the prison. Isn't that ironic that in his time of greatest need, Peter's sleeping soundly between two guards, pile of chains on top? The power of prayer we're seeing already in Peter's life. Like, like, put yourself in that scenario. You got chains on you, you got guards and soldiers, you know that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're going to face court, and probably you're going to be executed that very day. Would you be sleeping that night? Peter's sleeping like he's in his own bed, with his own pillow, with his own bed sheets on. You know what, I'd be, I'd be tossing and turning, I'd be like, you know, can I take a... Through the power of prayer, here's what Peter is 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 learning and applying the scripture, like the Philippians one twenty four one. What Paul says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Like like all these truths are coming real in him, and 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 he's already learned what he's going to teach us in First Peter five seven, where it says, "You know, you know, cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you." Peter, because of the prayers of the people, he's not wigging out; he's waiting for God to show up. And that's exactly what God does. Good reminder for us. The power of prayer. And this is exactly what God does. Verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. This isn't like a touched by the angel kind of thing, you know? This nice little like English lady shows up with this nice little accent all well-dressed. And she's like, hello. Or the angel of death shows up and he's got all his like nice suit on. He's just calmly kind of strolling around. Like this is, this is like an angel. This is like the real deal angel. This is like the, the angel's there and everyone's sort of like... And the angel simply wakes up Peter, and I'm not going to read all Fabio days, he wakes him up and he's like, hey, Peter, Peter, wake up, wake up, get up, get going, get, get up, get dressed, get going. And he basically guides him right out of that prison cell. Chains, guards, like, Peter's like, is this some sort of weird dream? And next thing you knows, he's out on the street. In verse 11, verse 11, he's out on the street, and the angel did his job, right? So the angel's like, Pat, Pat, I'm out. When Peter came to himself, when he kind of was like, what, what, what? he simply said this, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. This is a pretty cool story, don't you think? I read this and my heart starts pumping. This is, this is the God that we serve. We say God can do anything, but deep down in our hearts, we really wonder, can God really do anything? Uh, I think he can do anything in the Bible. I think he can do anything in somebody else's life, but can God really do anything in my life? And here's the thing we learn about God in this already to this point, is that, that God is a God who rescues. And that God is a God who rescues in such a way that when when he does it, we all just stand back and you are like, Wow, that was God! Our gods are rescuing God. Our God doesn't want to just show his power in the Bible. Our God doesn't want to just show his power in Peter's life and rescue Peter. God wants to show his power, his rescuing power in our lives as well. God wants us to pray, but God also wants us to to watch for how he's going to work it out. Sometimes we pray, we pray, we pray. We don't ever look for God to show up in powerful ways. But when God shows up, He rescues us in the same way that he rescued Peter so many times. How did he rescue Peter? Here's four ways that God shows up in our lives as we seek him on mission and find ourselves in tough spots. Let's be honest, tough spots are just part of being on mission. We get all frustrated with God and God, how, how could I end up here? And how can this possibly be? I love you with all my heart, and I'm trying to do my best. And, and God's like, just don't get frustrated, just wait for my rescue. I'm a rescuing God. Here's how God rescues Peter. You see it in the text, it's it's calculated. I love how God waits to the last minute, the last possible second to rescue Peter. Isn't that how God works in our lives sometimes? It's not random. It's exactly at the time God intended. Not too early, not too late, just just at his time. God always works in his time and never my time. Again, we see it here. God is a a flair for the dramatic. Why? Why does God often wait to the very last second in our lives? Why does he do that in Peter's life? So that we could be sure, 100% sure that this was God and not some other sort of coincidence or circumstance that happened. You're sitting here today and you're like I'm waiting for God to show up and waiting for God to show up and waiting for God to show up. God'll show up at just the right time, and oftentimes it's the in the nick of time. So don't give up waiting for God. It's calculated. God's rescue is also this. It's clear. You can't miss it. God wasn't about to let Peter sleep through his rescue. When God's about to do something spectacular, he's going to make sure you don't miss his activity in your life. The angel woke up, woke up Peter, in such a way that there was no way he could miss it. Sometimes I think we're afraid, well, what if I miss God's rescue? What if he does it? I don't see it. God never does something in our lives that he leaves just random to chance and, and not clear. When God rescues you, you will know. Number three is this, it's concise. It's not ambiguous or haphazard. This whole escape was planned perfectly by God. Planned perfectly by God. It wasn't like he's like, hey, wake up, wake up. Well, what do you know? I don't know. Start running, see what happens. That way. Peter, get up, get dressed, and he leads him every step of the way exactly at the right time for a it's so concise, every detail meticulously planned. Isn't it sometimes scary following the Lord? I'm sure Peter, at moments on this journey from his cell to the street, was going like, oh, what's, what's happening right now? Is this, is this for real? Like, wh- what if they see me? What if they, what if, what if, what if? You had a comfort to know, just as God led Peter through the angel out of that cell, God leads us in every aspect of our lives as he rescues us from some, Uncanny circumstances. Notice the, notice the last one. It's also complete. God took Peter to total freedom. It wasn't a partial deliverance. It wasn't a place where God left him hanging with loose ends to tie up or almost got him out. He got him to a place of being totally free. So many spiritual parallels to this passage. So many different places to go. Just two of them I want you to, to notice at this point. Same way that God works in Peter's life, he works in our lives. The exact same way God works in Peter's life, he works in our lives. Please never get to the point where you read the Bible like, oh, that was awesome for Peter, but God will never do that for me. Isn't it easy to think that way? Here's, here's two things we learn, and and first one is this. Here's a, this. This story is a clear picture of God's spiritual deliverance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that God has already done this? If you're saved, God has already rescued you in this miraculous way, in a spiritual sense. We are just like Peter. We're just like Peter, chained down by our sin under the control of the enemy on death row. The only thing we have to look forward to is not life on the outside, but death, separation from God forever. But yet Jesus, greater than an angel, Jesus broke in and he broke the chains of sin and he separated the guards that we could walk free and walk right out of Satan's prison cell onto the streets for freedom in Jesus Christ. Spiritually, God has already done this in our lives. When's God going to do this? If you're saved, God's already done this for you. Praise the Lord. But I also want you to know this because so many people think it stays there. Well, God saved me and so that's my freedom and now he's not going to do anything else for me. That's just not true. This also shows us God's personal, physical rescue of his people. Remember Israel? What did he do for the Israel's whole history? What did he do? He rescued them over and over again. What did he do in Peter's life? He rescues them. What does he God do in our lives too? He rescues us over and over again. Notice this, Job 42.2, God's purposes for your life cannot be thwarted. Nothing or no one can thwart God's purposes for your life. When you find yourself in places where, like, I don't think God's going to come through this time, if God's purpose is for you to get rescued from that, guess what? He's going to make it happen. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what's happening here. God's showing Peter, I'm a personal rescuer. God's showing the church, hey, you think, you think Satan, you think Herod can stop this thing? You watch what I'm going to do. No king can stop me from advancing my mission. No king can mess up my plans and purposes for my people. God's a rescuing God. And He's still doing these things today. I love reading stories of of missionaries. And and, and why don't we see these things today? I think sometimes we don't put our lives on the line for God. But when we put our lives on the line for God, He's doing these things all the time. I love reading stories of missionaries who put it all out there and, and reading a story of a guy named Brother Yun, 1997, May 5th, 1997. He had the exact same experience as Peter did, only like, only like 20 years ago. Ankles crushed from being beaten, sitting in a cell one morning when, when the... Asked the guard, can I go, can I go to can I go into the bathroom? And got out and go to the bathroom. And another person was there, another believer, and said, now's the time. Escape, escape, escape. And he's like, well, I don't, all right, let's go for it. All of a sudden he had strength in his ankles and he walked right out of the prison cell just like Peter did, right onto the street. If you ever heard of Brother Yun, Google him and read about him. It's awesome. This doesn't happen today. It happens today. Another guy I read about S- Sundar Singh, uh, a uh, preacher in, in 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 Pakistan, in India, and he's preaching the gospel uh, not too many years ago, you know, st- still in this relative day and age, and you know, of course preaching in Nepal at this point, and preaching in a city that was forbidden for him to preach in, and so uh, what do God's people, when they're forbidden to preach in a place, what do they do? They keep preaching, right? And so he keeps preaching, He's preaching. Finally, they, they had enough, enough telling him not to preach anymore. So they, they, they arrested him, they rounded him up, they had their little tribunal, they threw him in a, in a dry well and put a lid on top with a lock on it intending that he was going to die there among the bones of many others who had died there. And so as he's praying one day, he's praying, he's seeking the Lord and asking God for grace. All of a sudden the lid opens and a rope comes down with a little loop on the end. And this thing, if you're in the bottom of a well with a rope coming down, a loop in the end, what are you going to do? You're going to put your foot in the end of the loop and you're going to hold on for dear life, right? Only to get pulled to the top and climb out of this well and look around. There's nobody there. And he's thinking, all right, whoever did this is quick and they don't want to get caught. So that's cool but I've got to figure out who's just saved me from this well. He looks around more to find that the lid is even back fastened on place of the well. And he's like, remarkable. So, of course, you know what he does next? Did he go and find the person that, was, that rescued him? No, he went back to the city. He was told not to preach and started preaching again. Of which they rounded him up again and brought him to the, 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 the priest of the city, the, you know, the priest of the city and... and Big debate. Well, who got this guy out? Who got this guy? Who got this guy out? Well, I don't know. Well, who has the who? Who got the key for the lid for the well? To which the priest noted that the key for the lid to the well was on his buckle, where it's always been. That moment, Sundar Singh realized that it wasn't anybody that let him out of that well. It was God Himself that released the lid and put the rope down. And God still does these things today. God is an all-powerful, rescuing God. Read with me Psalm 18, verse 2. It's going to be on the screen. Just read this with me. This is the God that we serve. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Let this verse sink into your heart. Spiritually, physically, this is God. He is our everything. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. There's no coincidence the word rock is in there twice. What's our stability in life? What's our hope in life? It's it's God, our rock. If God can do this in Peter's life, he can do this in Brother Yun's life, he can do this in Sundar Singh's life. Surely he can do this in your life, in my life, whatever impossible situation you are facing today. Oh, I'm sure that many of us have never been in prison, but there are days it sure feels like it, doesn't it? There are sure days where I feel stuck. There sure, sure are days where I feel like, man, there's just no way out. I'm bound down. I'm, uh, there's nothing beyond. I'm in a hard place. I'm seeking answers. I don't find them. I'm trapped. Ever been there? In the Christian life, maybe? Stuck. The battle against sin and addiction? Trapped. Trapped. Maybe a marriage that you've been struggling through. God, are you ever gonna? Maybe in parenting. When, God? Maybe in your job. But God, is there anything be beyond this? Maybe in loneliness, you just feel like you're just trapped in a prison of loneliness. Maybe in depression sits, it sets in, it does hit Believers. Believe it or not, depression does hit believers. The enemy does anything he can to steal our joy. Maybe you've been in a place for a long time where you've just felt like, man, I am in prison and I'm just getting comfy in this cell because that's all there is that God has for me. Let me assure you, brothers and sisters, that's not all there is that God has for you. That's not, not all there is that God has for you. There's always hope in your battle against whatever you are fighting today. And don't pretend you're not fighting something. Oh, no, that's not me. Maybe this season you're not fighting something, but the next season is coming when you will. So let's get our, let's get our super spiritual faces off today. Oh, that's not me. I'm always confident. Always have faith. Untrue. Because you're human like the rest of us. And there's times where you're tempted to despair. And yet the reality, the truth of God with us is this, that even in those prison cells, we can sleep at night like Peter did, knowing that God will work it out for his glory, for his purposes. God's going to work it out. God's a God who rescues. I've got to caveat this with this thought. Because I know some of you are going to be like, well, well, what if he doesn't? What if he chooses? This is my lot for life. Honestly, God has a different plan for every life. And just because you read it here doesn't mean that God is going to deliver you today from the thing that he has put in your life for his purposes. Because sometimes it doesn't always work out with this happy ending, this awesome. Look at the top of this passage, what happened to James. Verse 2, James was in this exact same predicament. What happened to him? sword fell so what do we make of all this like verse 2 the sword fell and by verse 11 peters out how does this all work this all works like this that god is still god and no matter what he does it's for your good and his glory so don't run out of here this superficial god's going to rescue me today maybe we don't walk out of here going like god's never going to rescue me what do we walk out of here going like oh god do your will in my life please i pray Show your glory in me and through me and no matter what my lot is, I believe you can rescue me but I also believe that if you keep me here it's for a greater purpose than I could ever know until I meet you in glory. But we have to live with this belief at the heart of it is whatever God leads me to, he will lead me through. Because God, no matter what, is a God who rescues, calculated, clear, concise, and completely. We can't lose that overwhelming faith in the God of the universe in our lives. Point number three is this, it's time to believe in God's power. It's time to believe in God's power. Far too many Christians walk through life not believing believing intellectually in the power of God, but not practically believing in the power of God. It's time to, to believe that, that this is still the same God today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Get this, the whole time, the whole time as Peter's being rescued, you know what's happening? A big prayer meeting's going on. Look at verse 12. When he realized that he was out on the street, when he realized that God had rescued him, he, he knew that there was a prayer meeting going on, and so, so he goes straight to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who, whose other name is Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. Notice in times of hardship... Peter knew where to go. Instinct, I know where to go. You're going to find the believers who are praying. I know they're praying. I love this about this, this, this already in this text. You know, we have a Passion Prayer Week coming up. We're going to set aside right before Easter. We do every year. We set aside like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to pray. The Passion Prayer Week was every week at the early church. If there was ever a need, they knew where to find the God's people. Where were they? They were on their knees praying. No wonder the church had so much power and God do, God do so much. And so he gets to this prayer meeting, he knocks on the door and, and Rhoda, the servant girl, whose Greek name is Rose, she's such a, such a rose in the midst of this story. She sees and she's so excited, she leaves Peter at the door. It's kind of what the teenage girls do, right? excited. Ah! You know, I was a youth pastor once. I used to send the girls to Ruth. Just go, go find Ruth. I don't know what to do with this. That, that's sort of Rhoda. She, she's all hyper. She runs to the believers. The believers are like, what do they do? What's their response? Fabio, right? What's her What's their response? keep it down, Rhoda. We're praying right now. We're praying. It's an important thing we're praying for. We're praying for Peter. But he's here. No, no. He's probably not here. It's probably his ghost or his guardian angel. Back in that day, they believed that there was a guardian angel who could manifest themselves as the person. Isn't it crazy, as we're reading this, as we're studying this passage, that all this is going on and. Peter's, like, outside going, like, "Uh, are you going to let me in? (laughs) Uh, They can haul me back to jail anytime now, like. (laughs) Finally, the believers get it, and. They go get Peter, bring him in. Peter, they're in awe. Peter tells them the story. They do this little dance of joy. They have their little festival of thank you, Lord, and. What an awesome picture of like answered prayer and we, we pray and we see God's answer. It's also a, quite an indictment on the believers, don't you think? They're praying earnestly for Peter. The servant girl comes and tells them Peter's at the door. What do they say? Probably not. You haven't slept well tonight. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but probably not. Isn't it amazing how God moves despite our lack of faith? I was so encouraged by this part. I wasn't discouraged by this part. I was encouraged by this part because I find myself like the believers a lot. I'm not going to look down on them. I find myself praying a lot like that. Oh, God, I know you can. I know you can. Why You did it? He did it. He really did it. He did it. And someone else going, of course he did You're supposed to be the pastor. Oh, yeah. Keep forgetting that I'm... People keep forgetting I'm no different than you guys. I still struggle with the same things. Isn't it amazing, though, that even though we pray hard and we seek God, that we sometimes still don't believe He's going to do what we ask Him to do? We don't believe He can do what He really says He's going to do. And so, what happens in these times is we pray, we pray hard, we pray fervently, but you know what we don't pray? We don't pray expectantly. We don't pray with eyes wide open, waiting to see what God's going to do through our prayers. We don't believe in the powerful, immediate response to prayer that God tells us to believe in. But even when we don't, I love that God's still faithful. He's still faithful even when we're faithless. This just spurs me on. I hope it spurs you on to, to, to pray and to pray hard and to, to look for, for what God is, is, is going to do through your prayers. Part of praying, brothers and sisters, is part of praying is looking for God's answer. It's, part of praying is also listening. We're good at the talking part really eloquent with it a lot and we impress a lot of people, but, but part of praying is also listening for God's response and looking to see where God is going to move in response to our prayers. Don't miss that part of prayer. Don't miss that blessing in prayer. God's answer might be right before your eyes and you might be staring it in the face and you might not even be seeing it. But I didn't want that answer It's the one God gave you for your good. But I'm expecting better. Be satisfied with what God gives you. And love the Lord for every answer. But it was exactly what I wanted. Then just make sure you praise God ever the more. God moves despite our lack of faith. I also think of this from this section. Simply this. It's time to believe in God's power. God moves despite our lack of faith. There's no such thing as just another prayer meeting in God's church. There's no such thing as just another prayer meeting in God's church. There's, there's no like, hey, let me give, give you a moment of my time to pray and, and just kind of fire up a sentence in a casual sort of way and move on like nothing ever happened in that moment. Did you realize that prayer is one of the most powerful moments we can have here on earth? As with another believer or unbeliever and, and, and asking God to do in their lives what only he can, I, I, I hope and pray that you even evaluate your own prayer life. Do I have some of those moments in my own prayer life where it's like, oh, just another time of prayer. I'm just going to say grace again. I'm just going to say my bedtime prayers again. I'm just going to say my morning routine again. There's no such thing as just a little time of prayer in God's word. When, when God's people pray, God moves. There's no such thing as just a little section at the end of our small groups, the prayer section. We just got to do what we got to do, so let's just get her done and let's get her done in a way that expedient and those are the most powerful times you can have with another human being here on earth in those times after small group in our church-wide prayer meetings it's not ever come to a month where we're like well, I just don't feel like going this week and and will it really matter if I'm there? of course it matters if you're there or not but I'm tired, I've had a rough week and Do you realize what we're missing when we don't come to God in personal prayer and small group prayer and corporate prayer? Do you realize what we could be missing out on of all that God wants to do in our lives and our church? This is a powerful reminder for the church that we have to be a praying church. Not we should be a praying church. We have to be a praying church. We have to be a praying people. When God's people pray, God comes through in a big way. When God's people pray, God comes through in a big way. Prayer is the divine way that the all-powerful God chooses to work in the world. How does God choose to work in this world? It's through the prayers of His people. Woodrow Kroll says, fervent prayers produce phenomenal results. Eager, fervent prayers produce phenomenal results. And it leaves all God's people rejoicing. And while they're rejoicing, there's like a whole other little thing going on in the guards in the cell no small commotion it says God's people rejoicing you know what's going on in the cell right now they're like oh my goodness whoever's responsible for this, they're going to lose their heads and there's a notice the difference between God's people who are with God and the people who are not with God, like peace and joy and rejoicing and over here is like fear and, and trembling and confusion and what an awesome picture and then at the end of this chapter for good measure God tacks on this little section for verses 20 to 25, the death of Herod. Reminding us that in all times, even when we're in a stuck place, in all times, it's time to give glory to God. It's time to give God the glory. And after all this goes down, God finally steps in and takes control of this whole Herod thing once and for all and eliminates all the obstacles to his church moving forward. Interesting how at the end of the chapter, the guy who's trying to kill off the church ends up being the one who has no life. Because he fell into the hands of a powerful, jealous, righteous God. So several months after this all goes down, Herod is doing his Herod thing and controlling things and somehow the people of Tyre side and they got on his bad side and so he's withholding some food from them and they're coming to one of his, his trusted guards, Blastus. I know a few kids who carry that name well. Hey, Blastus. Side note. And so they're trying to get to, to the king through blasts trying to earn his favor. They know he's like a people pleaser, right? Cause of the whole Jewish thing. So they start singing this, singing this little song in his, in his, in his presence. And and they're singing, wow, the voice of a God and not of a man, the voice of a God and not of a man. And, and Herod thinking like, yeah, I'm, he, he doesn't, doesn't say, yeah, I'm that guy. Of course, but he doesn't refute it either. So he's probably sitting in his throne going like, finally somebody gets it, you know? He's pretty cocky, right? And he's smiling away. Next thing you know, he's laying on the floor. Next thing you know, worms are eating his body. And you're like, this is like a sci-fi movie. It's gross. Probably a tapeworm. We don't know what happened. But God could just put probably a tapeworm that you know the, came and just was already in there. And we don't know exactly what happened. But we just know this. We just know this, that when we refuse to give God glory, he doesn't take it that well. He doesn't take it that well. Romans chapter 1, what's, what's the chief end of all men who don't give God glory? Well, what's the ultimate sin? Is this choosing to give glory to everything else but God? So even those times where you're stuck, and those times where you're waiting upon God, those times where you're you're still asking God, and God is not coming as quick as I want, or it's not working out the way I want, don't cease to give God glory. Herod never gave God glory from the beginning. His demise was this, his demise was uh, alright, it's over. It shows where your heart's at. Our tendency, I think, when things go hard or things go wrong is, is we stop giving God the glory and we start getting our backs up to God, we start getting angry towards God and we turn away from God. This is a reminder, don't stop giving God the glory. Even in the hard things, you can still give God the glory. It reminds us that and when he does rescue us, make sure that not just when he we're waiting for him, but when he does rescue us, to make sure the credit goes where credit is due. We're such fickle human beings, aren't we? I want God to get the glory, but give me a little bit more first. I want God to get the glory, but just focus on me for a second, please, until before you give God the glory. Some of us have lived their whole lives never really given God glory for really a whole lot we live been living our lives hoping that God's going to add to my life so that I get more glory. And God's like, if that's your plan, that's a fatal plan. The person that my favor is upon, the person my blessing is upon, is the one who, who, who gives me the glory in all circumstances. Things are good, things are bad. We give God the glory. People that I bless, the people that I rescue are the the ones that, that, that truly, truly deflect the praise to me, that truly, truly deflect all the attention to me in all the seasons of life. In every day that we live. And so it's really a reminder for us of what happens when we refuse to give God the glory. It's a reminder for us that our life is meant to be spent figuring out different ways to get the spotlight on Jesus and not on us even in the hard help me somehow god turn this spotlight off of me and onto you not just by saying well it's not about but in our hearts just saying the right things, but truly living this posture towards God of God. I want you to be glorified in my life, in the good, in the rescues, in the hard, when I'm not being rescued, and even ultimately on death. I just want you to get glory. We miss out on giving God the glory, we miss out on God. We miss out on giving God the glory, we miss out on the Christian life and His purpose for your life. We miss out on giving God the glory, we miss out on the prevailing power of God in our life. Who says the Christian life is boring and lame? If that's where you're at today, you've missed out on Jesus and you missed out on his calling. Because those fully into Jesus and fully into his calling will see all these things come out in our lives in different ways as we pursue the finish line for the glory of God. Pray with me now as I pray that that would be true of all of us in here this morning and that would be true of us as a church. That we'd be pursuing in all things the presence and the power and the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Oh God, I pray you'd apply it to every single heart here. Protect us, God, from thinking this is just about Peter or this is about somebody else in our church and not about me. God, this is for me. God, for those here that have never truly been rescued from their sin and rescued from the enemy's grip, oh God, would would you help them see today that there is a Savior named Jesus Christ who lived in this world and died on the cross and rose again, that they might no longer have to live in a prison cell of the enemy, but they can live free in Jesus Christ. God, if there's one here today that's never repented of their sins and turned fully to you by faith, God, I pray that today would be the day of their rescue. That this story of Peter would simply be about that first and foremost. God, for those here today that are in a hard spot, they're stuck, they're feeling trapped. God, I know what that feels like. It's so hard. It's temptation to think that you've abandoned us, God, and you're not faithful to the, to the truth that you'll never leave us or forsake us. God, would you help truth settle into that heart right now that is stuck and struggling? God, I pray you'd help those people see the glory of God and the bigger purposes that you have for their lives. God, I pray you'd help them not lose faith that you're a God who rescues and that you're still a God that shows up in the middle of the night in the most unexpected time to deliver us for your glory be near them today. Oh, God, be their comfort and their peace. God, for us as a church, I pray you'd help us be this, this church that prays. God, we long to see more people delivered spiritually, physically. God, we long to see more people delivered. We struggle with belief. God, we admit it. We struggle with believing that you can still do these things today. God, Mark 9, 24, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And God, may our unbelief be reflected in the time we spend in prayer. Help us be a people who fervently, urgently pray. Praying like it's a workout, God. Not a casual, superficial praying church, but a church who comes together truly prays with all of our hearts. Lord, seeking your face for those in our lives that don't know you, for those in our lives that are in a hard place. God, help us be that church. We want to be the faithful church that sees the power of God come alive. And this is where it starts. Burden us, God, to be a people who pray. Not just the people who talk about it, but a people who pray. For God, God, we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, we would love for you to be so pleased to pour out your spirit upon this place, upon our hearts, that we might live out the book of Acts. Today, 2017, Niagara region, that we would still see these kinds of things happen today because we're putting ourselves all out there for your glory, expecting you're going to meet us wherever we are. Oh God, we love you. Fill us, God, with a greater view of who you are. Fill our hearts, Lord, with a greater desire to live fully for Jesus. Fill us, Lord, with faith and love and truth and grace fill us, Lord, with your spirit that people might see you in our lives and your activity in us. That all around would be quick to say it's about God and point people to the glory of our King. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.